Hi, I'm John Kennedy and welcome back to the Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Today I talked to Tracy Sweeney, a visual artist in Mayo, about the importance of fostering a creative sector in Ireland's regions and how she has managed to cultivate a global online business selling her art. So I'm joined by Tracy Sweeney, a visual artist uh, based in Mayo. Um, Tracy, I, I was just talking to your husband last week, uh, Nigel O'Reilly, a goldsmith. There seems to be kind of a colony emerging there in Castlebar or thereabouts. Tell, tell us about um, your own work. What, what brought you into the visual arts? Um, well, my uncle, actually, my uncle is a painter. Um, Ger Sweeney is his name. So I would have grown up. My father um, has a, an agricultural supply business outside of Castlebar. And I guess I grew up surrounded by sheds and machinery and the world was your imagination, I guess, when you're when you're that age. But when my uncle would come home from America and these far-flung places that I'd never heard of with another exhibition under his belt, I just, I started to realise at that point, you know, somebody, you can actually make a living out of art, that it's an actual career path. And, and funnily enough, years later when I met Nigel, I remember telling him that I was doing art and he didn't know any artists. So it was funny at the time because... There, while there is little enclaves of artists around, particularly in places like Westport, you know, in Mayo, art is not something that's on everybody's radar in the West of Ireland, I feel. Um, so when, I guess, when the two of us got together, it kind of opened up a, a whole creative conversation. But definitely my first influence was my Uncle Ger, And just painting, he used to paint these large um, photorealistic canvases in a shed at the bottom of our hill. And I was just fascinated with the smell of turpentine and oil paint and... I think I got a real grow for it at that point. It was like, oh my God, this is something I could do, you know? And that's the thing, uh, just, just to recap, I mean, when we talked to Nigel last week, Nigel told me that he met a girl and he basically decided to impress her by making him jewellery for her. And that was you. And uh, he, he embarked from being a precision engineer to being a goldsmith. And now he's uh, focused on fostering that industry could you tell us about um i suppose encouraging each other but also uh your own journey uh, into into prominence um well i guess nigel after i met nigel he was he had been working in precision tool making for a number of years and you know he would be he'd come home and he'd be frustrated because he might have left a decimal point out of something and you know when you're working with tolerances of of millimeters and less for surgical parts and surgical devices, there's no room for error. But his, he loved the precision end, end of it. And I think it was that he basically, he would bring home these pieces that he would have had to polish up on a, on a lathe and he'd have to have them super, super shiny and they'd, there'd be moles made of these. And it, it, everything from car parts, like I said, to medical devices, anything that had a, a plastic component, it had to be made in graphite first and then in metal. But it was as time went on, I guess, and I was studying art and going in and out to college every day and surrounded by some of, like, I guess some of the, some fantastic Irish art. We have amazing art in this country and amazing artists. But to have had that dedicated four years of studio time to be able to study and research and let your mind develop a lot of concepts around what you wanted to say as an artist, I guess a little bit of that rubbed off on Nigel and it was a case then over years of being very malleable with Nigel's career in terms of it coming from an engineering and precision background but how could we instill an aspect of creativity in that and I, I think that's where the two merge and while Nigel would talk often about the the technical side of what he does and the 3D and the CAD and all of that 
there, there is an artistry in it that when the two of them combine, I guess it, you end up creating something that's entirely unique. And it's not something that's done in Ireland too much, particularly in the high jewellery industry. We don't really have a tradition of it. Even while we do have quite a, a solid background in terms of craft here, you know. We gave Nigel loads of limelight last week. So tell us more about your um, your own work uh, in terms of your own style and uh, how, how, how you, I suppose, went from studying it to making a living in it. I'll go back to my father, I think, again. Um, my dad firmly, at the time, when I told him I wanted to go to college, to go to art college, he really, really didn't want me to do it. He thought, there's, there's not going to be an industry in that. How, how can you make money? How can you survive? And I don't know whether that was the kind of push or the dig that I needed, but I I went at it hell for leather. And while there was people that studied art with me in college who were quite happy to use the phrase, I don't mind if I live in a cardboard box as long as I'm making art, I was very kind of thinking, no, there's, there's a way of turning this into a business. Like, you just have to think differently with it. I, I guess years later... And from working in a family business, I think learning to speak and learning to talk to people is the first port of any sort of business. If you can't communicate or network with people, you're, you're never going to sell anything, full, full stop, unless you've got a team of people work, managing what you're, you're doing. I, I got my degree. I started applying for exhibitions. Primarily, they were local at the time. They were in Mayo. They were in Dublin. They were in Ireland. And as Nigel was training with wanted to learn more about diamond setting we ended up emigrating to Stockholm and of course I couldn't speak the language and we had worked in Kilkenny for a number of years before that and I had met some really wonderful artists who had mentored me and looked at my work and told me look when you go to, to Stockholm you know there is a much broader appreciation for the fine arts be it painting be it fine arts printmaking things like that he was like get involved in studios over there it'll open up a lot of doors for you so I think we were only there a couple of weeks and I had come to Stockholm with a lot of prints like etchings and lithographs that I had made in college at the time the first I went to a lot of galleries and my father told me sometimes it's the last house on the road where you don't think you're going to sell a bag of coal will be the one that will buy all the coal off the back of the truck I I walked around Stockholm over a number of days but the very last gallery I went to um, I thought, I wonder, will this be the one? And I walked in and I met a woman called Ingela who had ran this gallery from her father years previous. And she loves the prints. And she took, I think, about four of them that day. And she called me a few days later and she said, when can you bring in more? She said, I've sold these. And she was like, I love them. But she was like, I prefer if I had some paintings in the same style. So I said, look, I'm working on a series of paintings. I'll bring them to you. And over the course of a couple of weeks and months, literally it just it just spiraled and I years later I read that Malcolm Gladwell book about how outliers how we should spend 10,000 hours in order to become good enough at what we do that we become experts in in our field in as much as the Beatles spent years in Hamburg in Germany before they ever you know released albums they had put in their time and I think that dedicated years and years in Stockholm of I suppose you know, starting work at eight o'clock in the morning, finishing work at five, painting, 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 painting all day long uh, to, in my own kind of world in some respects. But really the work started to develop and every collection I made became different and every exhibition became a sold out exhibition. And I just quickly started to realise, I think it was when my father flew over for one of those exhibitions, you know, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, look, 
I can't, I can't believe that this is what you've done, you know. Um, so when I came back, it was, it was great to be able to hit the ground running. I had a couple of awards under my belt at that stage too. And I just continued to show work in, in Sweden. And it's, it's a question that a lot of people have asked me, you know, how come, I, how come I don't know you? How come I hasn't heard of you? And it's primarily because I haven't had the time to go looking for too much Irish representation, if that makes sense, because I'm just too busy with with Sweden on in one respect. But I started selling a lot of work through Sachi online over in America. And the work just generally leaves the studio now and it goes to its final destination rather than necessarily have an, an exhibition in between. But um, if I can have exhibitions, I do. Um, the latest one that I have is actually on over in Connecticut at the moment, although the, it's a museum, it's, it's closed down now until August. And that's a, muse- that's a museum specific to immigration and, and the Irish famine. So that's what that collection of, of works is about, you know. How would you sum up your visual style when you think about um, different artists have different styles, like Graham Nuttall has a certain style, the greats have a different style. What would, what would you say would be your particular style if you were to describe it to people? Though I, I guess I have an obsession with old walls and rusts and textures and stone and graffiti and old posters and slaking paint. So that kind of a layered aesthetic whereby it looks like the, the painting is possibly a chunk of a wall or an artifact that time and weather has kind of abandoned so that you can see through these layers and there's a sense of kind of history about them. That's my, my general style. So in order to build those layers, I stopped using paintbrushes a number of years ago and I, I use a lot of trowels and plastering tools and I would apply paint using industrial tools as opposed to using paintbrushes. So it's very, it's very free and things develop through that process because you're never really sure what the final piece is going to end up like until it's finished. I mean, the whole um, journey of artists, uh, I think it's the circle of life in some ways, as I understand it. But it takes a certain time to get to your courage or the courage of your convictions. So you feel this is this is my style. This is what I want to put, bring out to the world. This is what I want to produce. How did that come about for you? Um, it goes back to location, I think, and where I'm from and, and back to the Mayo aspect as well. I mean, if I look through an old portfolio here or an old sketchbook, location was really an important factor for me. And it was... I remember I would wander around like my grandparents' farm or I would find, you know, stone crosses in fields and I would take photographs of them and I would go back. And somehow or other, these little ideas that people have been here before and they've been here a lot longer than us. And while that message doesn't necessarily resonate in a visual that you will see on my website today, that's where the initial idea came from. It was very much that location is important and we are from... The, you know, the land beneath our feet. And I think that a whole Irish identity thing was, was massively and still is massively important, even though it's not very visual in the work. But that kind of identity of the land beneath our feet and it, it makes us who we are and the generations that have kind of gone before, that's definitely in there. I think that's where that inspiration came from. Now, I, I remember asking Nigel a question. Um, I, I think I think he took me up wrong at first where I was kind of saying, why why, 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 why Mayo? And he was kind of like, why not Mayo? But I think cause my, my point was exactly his. I was like, you know, why not Mayo? But in terms of how do we get more uh, artistry and crafts flourishing in our regions a couple of things and i see a few things happen so we lived in kilkenny for a number of years and kilkenny obviously kilkenny is a city and it's only maybe an hour and a half away from from dublin but there's an ingrained cultural thing in kilkenny people and that has obviously come down the track from their parents and their parents before them 
Do you know what I mean? There's an appreciation that the Kilkenny people are no more different than Mayo people, but the location has already instilled a culture in them that arts and crafts is something to be really, really respected. So in Mayo, how would I put it? Some, a, a comedian, an Irish comedian that we know that lives over in Australia kind of said this to us years ago that I guess when the world, I won't say when Europe was forming, but when people were traveling hundreds and thousands of years ago, the last place they would have ended up on the European map was Ireland. It was the very, very West Coast, which is fine. They obviously got to Ireland. But then the more rural you went, you were going to end up in Mayo or maybe out on Ackle Island or Clare Island or somewhere like that. Survival was the important thing then, not not necessarily culture. So the Celts and all the people that, that came before, it was how to survive on the edge of the world that kind of kept them going. And I still think that is inherent in Mayo people. You know, the finer things in life is not always necessarily appreciated because we have to get up every day and we have to live and we have to send our children to school. However, what I would say as an artist, while there are some amazing galleries and art centres and everything here in the West, and there are, there wouldn't be enough funding, I suppose, for them. But what I find and what Nigel finds is is somehow even more important in some respects is somewhere the likes of the local enterprise office where you can realise you do have a business and maybe your client is not necessarily in Mayo. Some of them are. But as long as you're thinking on a global level and you're thinking nationally and internationally, your creative business can thrive based on the internet, based on online sales, based on FedEx and, you know, the courier companies that will pick up from you and deliver. Actually, the local enterprise offices and things like that are places where we have used as a hub to sit down and discuss ideas and be mentors and all the rest. And while the arts offices and all of those are there and they are fantastic, it depends on who is there over a given set of years and how they can make something happen to promote that beyond beyond Mayo, if that makes sense. So it's to kind of get the best of both worlds. If you can get the business side, but get the creative side too. But we can have the creative side in Mayo because of just the splendour of the county. I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing place. And I suppose then that brings me nice to the next point is the, like you're running, you are running a business that is global. You're packaging your art, you're selling it straight to Connecticut or wherever you, wherever it's going. What lessons would you impart about running a business from, you know, Ireland to the world? Most of us think of businesses as, you know, stores or, you know, factories. You know, you are you are both. You are selling globally. You are making the product. You are manufacturing it and you are selling it to to the world. So I suppose what kind of ethos do you bring? What things have you learned about running a business in that fashion that you'd like to impart to other people who may, may be making art or maybe they're making something else or maybe selling something else? But... How do you do it in a way that it's, you know, what, I suppose, what are the key lessons you've learned uh, in building a, a global business? There's building a global business and then there's building a global creative business. And one of the things that I've learned definitely, and it's from talking to other artists and other creatives, is that creative people are generally quite shy and they love, they're gifted, absolutely gifted at making work. But getting it out there is the problem. And we have a tendency to shy away from maybe we apply for grants and we apply for exhibitions and we get rejection letters and we get told, no, you didn't get the grant that time. And you start to feel a little bit downhearted in yourself. So it's first of all a case of getting over that because it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant what some gallery somewhere thinks of you. At the end of the day, it's more relevant what a client is going to think of your work. So what we've learned 
like we started was say Nigel's business and my own business from scratch and it's personal investments and sales that kind of keep the the turnover going and keep the money coming back into the companies to to then fund a few little things further and push things out but to not be afraid if you have a good idea for a creative business and you do think your product is strong enough to not be afraid to go to your bank and look for the likes of the Bank of Ireland actually was incredibly helpful with us with one of those, is it the SCBI, SBCI loans? To go to them, sit down. If your idea is valid enough, a bank manager will look on you quite fondly. And it was, it was somebody in the Bank of Ireland in Kilkenny that told me years ago that some of, some of the best artists in the country are making more money than maybe doctors. It, you know, it's, it just depends on who your audience is and how you're marketing that out there. And the last thing I would say as well is, um, we got some great advice from Sonia Lennon, the fashion designer, a number of years ago, which is basically decide where you want to be in 10 years time. Decide what that end goal is. And then very easily, you can start to make steps towards how you're going to achieve that. Don't, don't necessarily take a piecemeal little by little. When I get here, I'll do this. When I get here, I'll do this. Decide what the end result is now. And then you can create a track to get to that, to that position. Very good. And a final question really would be, I jokingly refer to what you guys are doing there in Mayo as a colony. But as you say, there are lots of artists in lots of places all over the West and all over Ireland in general. But what do we need to be doing to encourage more people to be fearless, I suppose, uh, follow their dreams and build businesses? And, you know, is there more we can be doing in terms of funding? Is there more we can be doing in terms of, you know, just giving people that bravery? Um, There are people who are good at art who probably just never had the self-belief or were encouraged either to do it how do, how do we how do we how do we make industries like yours grow and flourish uh, and it doesn't matter where they flourish as long as they flourish one of the things we found really great over the last while is we worked from home like we say my studio is still here in our house um, and Nigel's studio was in the house up until about two years ago where we moved into Castle Bar what we found was When we went looking for a premises, it was difficult to find a place that would suit, that would meet all the needs that we had at that time. And a guy in Castlebar by the name of Declan Swift was opening up a new pub in the the centre of the town. But Declan has a really great mind in terms of bringing people together. And there was a couple of things he decided, like, there wasn't going to be a television in the pub. Unless Mayo were playing in the All-Ireland, forget it, it wasn't going on. So he very much spoke highly about the art of conversation and how he was going to set up a place, a pub that was going to bring people together. Now, if you're ever in the West of Ireland, and we talk about rural pubs dying a death, but this place had turned that whole notion on its head. They don't, they don't serve food. They have a pizza van out there outside the pub every weekend doing amazing, amazing food. But he decided it was all about the art of conversation. And one of the things that he has built in the last year, so we're at the back of, of where he is, and then he's built a second kind of unit beside us that's all to do with, it's, a, it's called Shomra. So like a hub for different creative businesses that want to come together and want to work within that. Now, what that has done for us is, and we didn't realize the importance of, the, of conversation really at the time, but the ability to walk downstairs and talk to a photographer, a graphic designer, there's somebody else in relation to PR down there. There's, there's a whole team of people, all different creative businesses. But if you can find a network, and like there's, there's a few of them in Castle Bar, in GMIT and in different places, but these are in every single town over the country. And if you can sit with those people and make some other conversation happen, that's the thing that's going to give you confidence. Because every time you have a chat with one of those people, you're going to come away from it with, if not a job, an idea of what's going to get you that next job or that next whatever it is, commission, things like that. So people are, is the key. And while definitely the enterprise offices and all that is great, 
and and the funding is good too. It's the community around it that makes things happen for sure. Thank you, Tracy. Well, with that, thanks so much for your time. That was really great. And uh, I wish the best luck with your exhibition in uh, in Connecticut next, is it, in August? Yeah, well, it's, it'll be over there now for the next couple of months. And I'd say they will extend it because of the lockdown and because so- the premises has been closed for a while. But um, it's been really, really well received. So I can see myself going back there to do some other projects with them over the next while. So, yeah, we look forward to it. Well, great. And best of luck with that. Thanks again, Tracy. Excellent, John. Lovely to speak to you.